truth of Matthew 18. Matthew 18, which tells me that whenever two or three are gathered, are gathered in the name of Jesus, he is there. You know, I look around to my left, or you can take an opportunity to look to your left and to your right, and you're going to see more than two or three gathered in the name of Jesus. And the promise of Scripture tells us that when we gather in his name to lift his name up, he's right here. What an awesome truth, and what a great thing to come together and praise his name, simply because of that reality, if nothing else. Uh, God is good. What a great opportunity to come together and praise uh, our awesome God. You know, we're going to be starting a brand new series today called The Jesus Stories. Come on, give your, give your neighbor a high five. We're starting a new series, Jesus Stories. Come on. I, I always love a new series Sunday. I, I just invented that term there, but, but I like new series Sunday. It's always a fun moment. And, uh, and we're going to be leaning into this idea of, of Jesus Stories. Now, there's this great narrative that exists with within all of Scripture, but in particular found in the Gospels, which tells the story of who Jesus is and the life that he lived. But but spread throughout that narrative, there's these incredibly powerful moments where Jesus stops and he takes something seemingly insignificant or or a scenario that's just a part of everyday life and he looks at it differently and he helps people through that story to understand something profound and powerful about who God is and his kingdom. And so for the next three weeks, we're, we're going to be taking a look at these different stories that Jesus told, these different parables. Uh, we're going to be doing, excuse me, different ones in the morning and the evening. We've got Pastor Ryan preaching tonight. I'm looking forward to that. Come on. He's, uh, he's a great communicator and he's actually going to be speaking on the parable of the 10 puppies. And uh, that, that, that's not a real parable. If you're, if you're new to scripture, I made that one up. But I reckon you would kill it on that topic. I reckon there's just a heart in there that would just be like, God, those 10 puppies. Uh, but anyway, no, he's not going to be preaching on that, but he's going to bring an awesome word later on today. Uh, but today I'm going to be speaking out of Matthew 5, which if you know the, the story of the, of the New Testament and the Gospels, this is a moment where, where Jesus is going to give one of his most significant kind of addresses to a group of people on what it means to follow God, moving beyond the letter of the law, but to live it, internalize it in the place of the heart. He's speaking to his disciples. He's retreated to a mountainside and he sits with them and he begins to teach about what God's kingdom is and it becomes clear that 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 kind of setting became attractive to a crowd that had began to follow him and so we kind of have this picture of an inner circle that Jesus is teaching his disciples and then a crowd that gathers to just get whatever they can from Jesus and it's in that setting that that Jesus gives us the I guess the first picture the the first story that we're going to focus on in in our Jesus story series. And we're going to start, as I said, Matthew 5 and verse 13. And Jesus, as I said, with parables, he takes common things and brings them to life in new way, new ways to tell God's story. And he's going to look at three simple things. He's going to look at the idea of salt. He's going to look at the idea of a city on a hill. And he's going to look at the idea of light. Are you ready to get into scripture this morning? Come on, let's do it. Matthew 5 and starting in verse 13, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. Anyone feeling salty this morning? Uh, I don't know exactly how to capture that in an emotion, but, but I hope you're feeling salty. But if the salt loses its saltiness, uh-oh, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It's a picture of a, of a town, a city set on a hillside with lamps burning that could be seen from miles away. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So here's, here's something we've got to understand. When we approach these pictures and this little story that Jesus is telling, we've got to remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking primarily to his disciples. So let's take a moment to, to frame what a disciple actually is. If we think about the, the story of the New Testament, for, for me there's kind of three key things that, that makes a disciple. One, they're invited by Jesus to follow. If we think about all the disciples throughout the, the, the story of Jesus there, they could be fishermen, they could be tax collectors doing different things. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes into the equation and says, come follow me. There's an invitation. That's step one of what it means to be a disciple. And, and then after that, there comes a choice. How do I respond to that invitation? And we see in the disciples in the New Testament, they respond favorably and they say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. So the disciples invited and then the disciple chooses to follow. And then the disciple finally is engaged with an ongoing work in their life, which is becoming more like Jesus. So that's a framework for what a disciple is. That's who Jesus is speaking to when he gives these three pictures. And what I love about that, even thinking about the, the disciples in the, in the New Testament that were called specifically by Jesus, and, and they have these three unique things about them, that the truth is for each one of us here today that has responded to the gospel and said yes to Jesus, the same thing is exactly true for us, right? That we're invited by Christ to follow him. That when we say yes to that, we choose it actively. We say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You're my savior. You're my redeemer. You're my Lord. I'm going to follow you. And then the harder part is to then in following Jesus, engage in the process of becoming like him. And to help us in that, Jesus gives these three, three pictures. So I want to take you back to, to verse 13 as, as we get things rolling in the scripture. And he brings this idea of salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? No longer good for anything. Said to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, now there's a huge variety of metaphors that we could attach to, to Jesus' use of salt in this particular passage. But, but the key thing in my mind is that salt is distinctive. Right? That when its, when its presence is in a meal, you can recognize it straight away. When its presence is absent or there's not enough of it, you can recognize that too. That salt has a distinctive quality. And here's where Jesus is beginning when he asks the question, okay, what is the purpose then of a disciple? It's to be distinctive in the world. To think that just like salt has a distinctive quality, that the disciple is called to have a distinctive quality in how they live their life and follow Jesus. You know, one of the things that I absolutely love every four years is the Olympic Games. Come on, any, any fans of the games here? 
It's just, it's amazing. The scale, the scope, it, it, it's fantastic. I was watching the, the opening ceremony. I so said, anyone catch the opening ceremony? Rio, it's just like, it's this party nonstop. It's fantastic. But but one of the things that, that I love about it, it, and actually, can I be honest for a moment? As I was watching it, one of the things it revealed to me is my crippling lack of international geography. And I'm like... Come on, Rio. Is that really a country? Or are you just kind of filling out the roster? Did anyone else feel that? You're watching it like, that's a country? USA is a country? No, I didn't think of that one. <laughs> that, that's okay. And, but anyway, we continued watching. And I was actually watching without the audio. Uh, not, not because, you know, that's a fun thing to do. But I was, you know, playing blocks with my son. We were hanging out and had that on in the background. And, and, and so I could see all the, one of the unique things in the, the Parade of Nations is there's a flag bearer. You get to be the flag bearer of your nation. That's a big honor, right? You're holding the flag. You're waving it. It's funny seeing, like, the, the different nations and how much enthusiasm they bring to that task. Like, you get, like, Russia, which is is very, you know, this kind of stable, not bring Then you get some of the, like, you, I forget where the guy was from. It might have been Italy. He was just going crazy, waving this thing, doing spins. I was like, that guy gets the games. He gets it. But anyway, one of the things that as I was watching it and the, the game that we started to play was try to guess what that athlete is based on the way he or she looks. So they're holding the flag and you got like giant six foot eight guys that are like 140 kilos. And you go, okay, probably he's not doing rhythmic gymnastics. Probably he's, you know, and, and if he is, that, that could be a glorious sight to behold. But I'm guessing that's not what his deal is. And so we're playing this game, we're having some fun. And you can kind of, you start to, to see some distinctive qualities for different athletes in different events. For example, like the long distance runners, they're, they're typically kind of light frames, they're, they're skinny, they kind of got long limbs. Or if you look at weightlifters, they kind of got a really high weight to height ratio. Normally that's not a good thing, but if you're a weightlifter, it's an incredible thing. Also with the weightlifters, you'll notice they're really, really hairy, right? <laughs> they are. Check it out. When you're watching the weightlifting, it's like, no, I'm not going to say anyone's name. Pastor John's trying to fish to get me to say someone's name. But, but you notice that, that all the different athletes, based on their discipline, particularly at that elite level, the very best of the best of the best, there's a distinctive quality that they all have in their discipline, which enables them to carry out the purpose of their event. And when Jesus talks about the distinctive nature of the disciple, the follower of Christ, there is too a distinctive quality that the disciple must have in order to live out their purpose as a follower of Jesus. So what is that quality? We're going to go a little bit deeper in the text and, uh, and start with uh, verse 14. And it says this, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, what Jesus is actually beginning to speak into here is that, that distinctive shape, the disciples' shape. What do they look like? What's a disciple like? And, and I love it in this description as Jesus introduces this metaphor of light and this idea of light, that when you take these few verses and even this passage as a whole, when Jesus describes our shape, remember, he's talking to us here, people who have said yes to Jesus, following Jesus, now engaged in the process of becoming like Jesus, he's saying, this is the shape you have. This is the way I describe you. And you know what is awesome about this passage? He describes himself the exact same way. 
Let's look at this. You are the light of the world. Let's flick over to John 8 verse 12. And it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, what? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, my light within them. And then how does he describe me as a follower of Christ? How does he describe you as a follower of Christ? He says, you are the light. I am the light. You are the light. The distinctive shape of the disciple is found in the distinctive shape of Jesus. And when we lose that, we lose everything we were called to be. It doesn't matter what we do as a people of faith. It doesn't matter what we do holistically as a church. If we ever lose the shape of Jesus, it's all for nothing. That is the thing that defines us more than anything else. Disciple, here is your shape. Take a look at me. Look at me and find what is to be distinctive about you as a follower of Jesus. What an awesome thing that in Jesus inviting us to follow him, he's actually inviting us to be like him. The son of God, the creator of the world. Carrying his light. You know, when we think about, we think about light in a home, and this is the, the picture that Jesus is telling when he talks about the lamp within the house giving light to everyone, not under a bowl, but on a stand. Kind of, kind of in our terms, it's like a, it's, a, it's a light switch. We go home late at night, and, and we've just got this wonderful little white thing on our wall that we can flick, and boom, the whole room's lit up. It's like, it's, what a world we live in, that we can just flick it on, and electricity does that for us. Jesus didn't have that. So for us, we kind of got this amazing thing that I take for granted every day. Incidentally, my son does it. Anyone got a young child that loves light switches, and it's just going, ooh, ooh. And I'm like, come on. We could be doing something better. We could go to the park right now. And he gets it. That's amazing. But we lost it somehow. Now, Jesus, he's dealing with a different group of people living in a different time. They didn't have electricity. What they had was a little clay lamp hollowed out that would be filled with olive oil, with the wick going down into an oil, into the oil. The wick would be ignited and the flame would burn on the fuel of that oil. And you can imagine that's the picture that Jesus is telling, a lamp, a naked flame burning on a stand, giving light to everyone in the home started to think and ask the question, what does it look like to be a disciple that has the light of Christ burning within the soul, to have that flame switched on? You know, a little while ago, one of the, one of the things I love to do in, in my spare time is go down to the local courts, hit ECU, and, and just shoot around, get the basketball out, run around, take some jump shots, and, and just muck around and have a good time. Now, now, the thing is, when you go to a local court, there's a, you kind of you know, take a half court for yourself, you're shooting threes, you're doing your thing, and then what happens is the rest of the stadium fills up as well. So you'll be shooting on one end of the court, and then someone else will come and shoot on the other side of the court. And, and what kind of happens amongst basketball players and any players here you can back me up on this you, you kind of when someone starts shooting on the other side you, you start sizing them up a little bit and you're like hmm the jump shot's quite good I think mine's better he's got some lateral quickness there I, I think I can d up on that and, and there's this internal monologue going on in each of your heads until finally someone crosses the threshold of the half court line and it's on and it starts with, like, quite a nice remark, like, hey, how you going? 
But really, you know, you, you want to play. It's time to play ball right now, isn't it? You're not just seeing how I'm going. And sure enough, a little while ago, I was down the course. This exact thing happened. This awesome young guy, he strolled over. I would have had like probably 12 years on him, which at the start of a basketball game is advantageous. And then after about 15 minutes, you lose that punch. And, uh, and so I said, yeah, cool, man. Let's play. You seem like a cool guy. And we started to scrimmage. And we had a great, great little battle. I won't tell you who won. That's not important. And, uh, and um, he, he was very good. I, I think, you know, he, I think he's actually at Rio right now representing. No, and anyway. And, and eventually I, I got too tired. I'm like, man, it's fine. I got to sit down. My knees are hurting. I just got to chill out for a minute. And, and I sat down. And he's like, okay, cool. Well, well I'm just going to start dunking for a little while. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And, and to put it in perspective, this, this kid, he's, you know, 18, 19. So he's about this tall. So as a basketball player, that's like really small. He's dunking the basketball. Now, when you're a baller and some dude that height starts throwing it down, the kind of response is just like, ooh. And straight away, I got excited. I'm like, this kid has got some serious hops. And, and then he's doing it for a little while, and then he turns to me and says, Phil, I've never done an alley-oop dunk before. And I was like, you serious? You've got crazy hops. you never done an alley-oop before? I was like, okay, we're getting this done. So I set up his phone so we could video the whole thing. And, and after a few broken connections, let's face it, it's mostly my fault, poor lobs. And, and on the third attempt or so, I sent one that I thought was a little bit too high for him. But he just stretched up, go-go gadget, got it done, and just threw this thing down. And as soon as his feet hit the floor, I have never in my life seen someone so overjoyed with themselves. It was just this excitement. And he was hopping. It was just like this joy bursting out at him. It, it actually kind of reminded me of, of Pastor John after you started dating Tegan for the first time. It was just kind of like, it's like, John, is something good happening in your life? There's this spring in the step that kind of, around the office, we, we call it the happy puppy when John's in this like really good mood. It's, it's kind of like this really innocent kind of glee. And, and this kid, this kid, he's an athletic freak. And that's exactly what he was expressing, this innocent glee. He's like the most humble dude ever. Anyway, he's like, come on, let's play some more. And I'm like, no, man, I'm too tired. Let's just chill. And he came and sat down next to me, which is a little bit unusual in that environment. And we started chatting. And, uh, and he, it turned out he was a student at the university there. I was many years ago. And, and I started talking about what I did now. And I said, oh, I'm actually a pastor at a church, you know, down the road in, in Malalu. And he said, oh, cool, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, great. I, I don't know what it was, whether it was the, the adrenaline of seeing this young kid in action, just, you know, sailing through the air. And, and I thought, okay. I'm going to press him just a little bit. Maybe I was angry because he'd just taken me to school on the court. And, and, and I just thought, okay, so, so what does that mean for you? Was it, is it just kind of like a, a family thing? Is it like a, it, 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 what, what does that mean for you? And, and I could see in his face straight away, this just smile cracked. And he knew what I was asking, saying, I was saying, are you for real? Are you following Jesus? And we were sitting down, and this is no exaggeration. He springs back up onto his feet, and he says, no, I believe in Jesus. I pray every day, and he's my savior. I was just like, oh. And there's something in that moment, as I was talking to this kid that I'd just been playing basketball to, that as soon as I go to the subject of Christ, it's so evident that there's this fire burning in his heart. And I stood up as well. I was like, I don't know what's happening right now, but I'm excited. 
And kind of in that moment, what men do, we, you know, we need to find some way of expressing ourselves. So I went with kind of the power man hug where you, you lock in the hand first, like you're going to start arm wrestling and then one arm goes over. It's perfect for men because it's kind of got the violence of an arm wrestle combined with the affection of the hug. It's like men, men on the go, that is your go-to. If you need to express yourself and you can kind of hit them a bit as well, make it a bit more violent. Pa- Pastor Dean's actually a master of this move. I love it. I get one of those from him. I'm like, okay, come on, let's get this done. And anyway, there was something in him that just captured me and actually lit something in me. And it was just passion for Jesus. It was the fact that as a follower of Christ, this kid had a lamp in his soul that was ignited and burning. So that when I even got close to the subject, it was like, oh, let me tell you who Jesus is to me. And I was like, when we think about that distinct shape of the disciple, that we carry not our own light, but his light, we've got to ask the question, is that lamp in my soul burning? Is that lamp in my soul burning? Or is the picture of that clay lamp and the oil's gone and there's a dry wick, maybe it's hidden under a bowl, It can be different. The presence of God here with us, the one that in his presence miracles happen, dry lamps become filled, flames that have been snuffed out burn with a new brightness in the presence of God. Can I tell you that if you've ever made a decision to follow Jesus and you feel like his light isn't in your life, today's the day for that lamp to ignite in his presence through his Holy Spirit here with us. We're going to go a bit further in the scripture. And it says this towards the end of the passage. In Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus has given us the pictures, salt, the city set, light. He says in the same way, just like the distinctive nature of the salt, just like the the light of the city shining all around, just like that lamp burning in the home. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I love this closing verse again, because when we talk about Jesus is really describing the disciple, he's describing the purpose of the disciple, and again, it sounds exactly like a description of himself, to do good deeds, to glorify the Father. Jesus' life was filled with that, and at every point, it's always about glorifying, lifting up the name of God. Is that's what we're invited to be a part of as well. But at a certain point, it's got to become real. Discipleship's that process of becoming. So what is the disciples' journey so that my deeds more and more would bring glory to who God is as I'm a reflection? Not only a reflection, but I'm becoming just like who Jesus is. You know, it's a great, great book I've been uh, getting into again recently that, that Lisa uh, brought to my office a little while ago by a guy named uh, Randy Frazee. And, and it's this awesome book about really what it means to be involved and engaged in the process of becoming like Christ. And he has these three fantastic frameworks, which I think is so important for us if we actually want to not only be inspired by God's Word, but actually be transformed by God's Word. And he has these three pictures of think, act, and be. When we think about what it means to be engaged in this process of becoming like Christ, that it starts in the place of the mind, that when I can start to think more like Jesus, 
that when I begin to, to think like Jesus, when my mind is actually renewed and transformed, Romans 12 talks about being transformed by the renewing of my mind. Imagine if our mind, our thinking, our thought process, processes were renewed around who Jesus is, that, that I actually start to think like Jesus. Now that sounds amazing. But how do we actually get there? So that the, my thoughts are less about me and what, what, what I can get caught up in, but my thoughts are actually around, who is Jesus? What would Jesus do in this moment? What actually matters to Jesus? What doesn't matter to Jesus? There's so many things matter to me there that maybe they're not that important when it comes to becoming like Christ. How does Jesus think? Can I encourage you? Something to do over the next three weeks. I I mentioned we're going to be looking at these Jesus stories, these parables coming out of the New Testament and the Gospels, the biggest story of Jesus' life. You know what would be an awesome thing to do over the next three weeks? Maybe right now you've got a Bible plan and this could be something great to add to it. Maybe you don't. And can I just encourage you to take a Gospel and journey through it over these three weeks? And and you'll hear some of these Jesus stories that are going to be preached on as well. But, But to get a sense of how Jesus lived his life because when you read and even read with this lens how is Jesus thinking what does Jesus do when he's interrupted by someone's need what does Jesus do when he's faced with persecution what does Jesus do when it when it all seems like too much and he's at that breaking point and you start to think like Jesus in those same scenarios and when your mind's renewed around who Jesus is and you begin to think like Jesus all of a sudden it starts to take shape in the way you act that now when at times when I'd lose my temper, I don't because my mind's been renewed around who Jesus is. Maybe at times where I'd be tempted to be dishonest, I don't because I'm able to think with clarity around who Christ is calling me to be. At times where I'm faced with, with sin or issues that stumble me time and time again, they don't anymore because I think about them like Jesus. That my actions take shape around the thinking of my mind and then to drop that thought 12 inches to the heart so I'm going to live out of that and when as a person as a disciple you start acting like that you know what you're really doing you're becoming like Jesus you're actually being like Jesus you're taking the light of Christ internalizing in your soul setting it afire and just letting that shine out of who you are that's what Jesus invites us to as disciples. You want to, I want to finish with just this one thought. At the very start of this passage, Jesus talks about salt. And he asks the question, if the salt loses its saltiness, its distinctive quality, its distinctive character, if the salt loses that, how can it be made salty again? And we talked about it with the lamp. If that, that lamp's dry, if the oil's gone, how can it be renewed again? And it's so simple. It's just recognizing the presence of God in your life and saying, Jesus, I want that lamp to burn in my soul again. By your Holy Spirit, by your presence here today, would you fill the lamp of my soul so that it would burn day after day for you? Would it overflow with the oil of joy that I could lift up your name, Jesus, and shine your light, Lord? Can we stand together this morning? We're going to worship our great God in a moment. 
we're going to ask that his presence would overflow in this place. You're going to hear that, that, that words, that, that statement being sung. And as you do, I'd encourage you to, to pray, Jesus, if there's any dryness in my soul, would you fill my lamp to overflowing this morning? Let me pray for you. God, we declared the truth of your scripture earlier, that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, your presence is right here. Jesus, we declare that truth again in this moment. And God, I pray for anyone that knows that that lamp's gone out. Jesus, I pray that in this moment, by your Holy Spirit, you would come and fill to overflowing by your Spirit that's alive in their soul. And Jesus, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, you would ignite that fire within their heart, Lord. Jesus, that there'd be a new passion for you. There'd be a new courage to follow after you. Jesus, that it would exist in not only in the realm of the heart, but in the realm of action, Lord. Jesus, that we could become more like you because of what's been lit on fire within us, Lord. Jesus, I ask that your presence would be here this morning. Jesus, set us afire for you in a new way, Lord God. That in your presence, miracles happen. No matter what that bowl is that's covered over that light, in Jesus' name, it's lifted up. Holy God, bring freedom in this place. Bring your light into this place, into our church, Lord God, that we would be that city, that town set on a hill, shining the light of your gospel. Praise you, Jesus. Come on, we're going to worship him. Overflow, Lord. Overflow. Thank you, God.